0: The Presenting Sponsor of Food Safety Matters is RFXL, a global leader in food supply chain and traceability solutions. Stay tuned for our interview with Rob Clark, North American Sales Director for RFXL, and John McPherson, Senior Director of Digital Innovation for RFXL, for a discussion on the ins and outs of FSMA 204 and what companies like yours can be doing to be ready for the FSMA legislation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Food Safety Matters, the podcast for food safety professionals. I'm Stacy Atchison, publisher of Food Safety Magazine, and I want to thank you for joining us for this special bonus episode, which is part of the series that we're producing in conjunction with FDA in our exclusive Evolution of New Era, Advancing Strategies for Smarter Food Safety. The series includes both podcasts and webinars, so if you're not aware of the webinar series, be sure to visit our website, food-safety.com, where you'll find the webinars under the events tab in our top navigation. So for today's episode, we'll be focusing on improving traceability and transparency in the food supply chain through the implementation of the final food traceability rule as mandated by Congress under the Food Safety Modernization Act. FISMA, Section 204. Food Safety Magazine's editorial director, Adrian Bloom, will be joined by Adam Friedlander, policy analyst in FDA's Coordinated Outbreak Response and Evaluation, or CORE, network, and Joe Laspragada, vice president of new product development at Samuel Seafood. So now let me share a little bit more about our guests. Adam Friedlander is a Policy Analyst in FDA's Coordinated Outbreak Response and Evaluation Network, where he helps lead the agency's efforts to advance strategic, tech-enabled traceability initiatives under the new era of smarter food safety. Through collaboration and by leveraging the power of data, he hopes to help transform the food system to become more digital, transparent, and safe for consumers around the world. Adam graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's degree in food science and operations management and a minor in music. He received his master's degree in regulatory affairs of food and food industries from Northeastern University. Joe Las Pregata is a longtime seafood veteran with over 30 years in the industry. His love and passion started with his degree in marine biology, which took him to several corners of the world to source the best and most unique seafood available, assisting top chefs with menu development and helping introduce, develop, and distribute over 30 million pounds of seafood annually. As vice president of new product development at Samuel Seafood, he works directly with producers, aquaculture, and multiple non-governmental organizations to introduce new products and develop successful brands. Joe has a true appreciation and unique insight to the seafood industry and its potential upcoming challenges. Most recently, he developed a digital traceability system to comply with both FDA shellfish regulations and the newly instituted food traceability final rule, FSMA Section 204. Please stay tuned after the interview to hear our discussion with our sponsor, RFXL, on what companies can be doing to be ready for FSMA 204. So welcome to another special podcast as part of our webinar
1: and podcast series with FDA titled Evolution of New Era, Advancing Strategies for Smarter Food Safety. So today I'm speaking with Adam Friedlander, policy analyst for the Coordinated Outbreak Response and Evaluation Network, or CORE, at FDA's Center for Food Safety and Applied Nutrition. And also Joe Laspergata, Vice President of New Product Development for Samuel's Seafood Company. So today we'll be talking about improving transparency and traceability in the food supply chain, which is part of FDA's tech-enabled traceability initiative under its new era of smarter food safety, as well as the aim of the recently released Food Traceability Final Rule under FSMA Section 204. So to begin... Adam, now that the traceability rule has been finalized, how do you anticipate that applicable companies' compliance with the rule from January 2026 will assist the core network in traceback efforts?
2: Well, first, I want to thank you, Adrian, for the invitation to join this podcast and speak about the FDA's food traceability rule, which was published in November 2022. And it's It's very important for government and industry to work together, not only to improve public health outcomes for consumers and increase transparency, but also to help foster even greater supply chain innovation. My hope for today is to point the public towards FDA resources to learn more about the food traceability rule and for me to learn more about Joe's traceability journey. So Congress recognized over a decade ago the need for better food traceability with the passage of the Food Safety Modernization Act, also known as FISMA. The one-up, one-back approach to traceability that began in the early 2000s under the Bioterrorism Act yielded some insufficient results for outbreak investigations because data elements were not well-defined. It was difficult for the industry to link products and shipments together quickly and effectively and it did not enable end-to-end supply chain visibility. This traceability rule helps create a harmonized language for food traceability. It lays the foundation for end-to-end supply chain visibility, and it delivers an organizational method so that no matter what company or sector you belong to, companies regulated by FDA can play by the same set of rules and software solutions can begin the process of interoperating with each other more easily. This traceability rule is a game changer for food safety. It is a game changer for supply chain collaboration, and it is a game changer for FDA's traceback investigation processes. At the core of this rule is a requirement that persons subject to the rule who manufacture, process, pack, or hold foods on the food traceability list maintain records containing key data elements, also known as KDEs, associated with specific critical tracking events, also known as CTEs, and provide information to the FDA within 24 hours or within some reasonable time to which the FDA has agreed. The CTEs in the final rule are harvesting, cooling, and that's cooling before initial packing, the initial packing of a raw agricultural commodity other than a food obtained from a fishing vessel, the first land-based receiving of a food obtained from a fishing vessel, shipping, receiving, and transformation of the food. So under the rule, each of these CTEs will have a list of key data elements they're responsible for collecting, maintaining, and in certain instances, sharing with their supply chain partners. There's also a requirement for establishing and maintaining a traceability plan that contains specific information outlined by the rule so that FDA can understand that business's traceability processes and procedures. And finally, there are a number of exemptions that are outlined in the rule and FDA has created an exemptions tool, which is available on the FDA website to help companies better understand these full and partial exemptions. So, You're correct, Adrian, that the compliance date for the person subject to the rule is January 20th, 2026. And as stated in the Federal Register notice, we believe that this rule broadly will help speed up outbreak investigations by over 80% compared to current processes. The new requirements identified in the final rule will allow for faster identification identification, and rapid removal of potentially contaminated food from the market, resulting in fewer foodborne illnesses and or deaths. So during outbreak investigations, FDA works with other federal agencies like CDC and USDA, as well as state, local, tribal, territorial, and international governmental counterparts. And while there are several examples I could highlight that examine how the requirements within the rule can help improve FDA's traceback and outbreak investigation efforts, I'll just offer one brief example. The rule requires a traceability lot code to be assigned to a food on the food traceability list. However, only those initially packing a raw agricultural commodity, performing the first land-based receiving of, of a food obtained from a fishing vessel, or transforming a food can assign a traceability lot code. These descriptors, which are often alphanumeric, unique product identifiers, help link products and shipments together, and the method for assigning a traceability lot code must be outlined within the firm's traceability plan. In other words, the traceability lot code makes it possible for the FDA to make make linkages within a firm and across a supply chain, even if a food was transformed into a new product and given a new traceability lock code by the entity who performed that transformation event. So, if the FDA knows the traceability lock code and who assigned it, we can go directly to that entity during an outbreak investigation. And this helps us identify the contaminated food more quickly, inform further prevention efforts outlined under FSMA, and it may help to mitigate additional illness and potentially save lives. So. I encourage everyone to check out the three supply chain scenarios on FDA's website to learn how the food traceability rule works, including how the traceability lot code is relayed across the supply chain. These three scenarios include examples from produce, seafood, and cheese supply chains, and they're a great resource to learn about the requirements of the rule, as well as how compliance with the rule can help FDA's traceback efforts.
1: Great. Thank you, Adam, for that background. And and certainly that 80% improvement you mentioned is a significant projection. So um, that will be interesting to to watch and and trace. So Joe, my next question is for you. Um, You developed a digital traceability system to comply with both FDA shellfish regulations and the new food traceability final rule that was released in November. So can you explain how your system adheres to the different requirements of these two programs and how you were able to design a program that covers both?
3: And uh, hi, Adrian, and thank you, you know, again, for including me in your podcast. I think more information needs to be shared with the industry, not only in seafood, but other industries on how this new FDA ruling is actually going to impact and actually how is it going to take effect quite frankly, we have to track 100% of the products that we sell. And if you've ever been into a convenience store, it's like tracking all the, all the ingredients to a pizza or, or a, uh, or a sandwich. Uh, It's all broken down as fractionated lots that are coming in from overseas that are uh, being distributed throughout the United States in the small parcels. And they want us to be able to have the capability to, to track it. And, and yes, There are ways to do it, and that leads to your question on how we developed it, but it's very, very difficult and very, um, uh, it's it's just uh, so integral that it's going to require a lot of uh, cooperation throughout the industry and also support from the FDA. So that's where we are right now as an industry. So we did develop a, a system that basically, surprising to the FDA, mimics uh, FDA shellfish, which is a very basic, also antiquated system that's employed to track all live mollusks right now. Uh, And the reason we employed this method is because uh, it's tracked at the water, it's given an identification number, the KDE's are attached to it, and then they travel with that product all the way through to the consumer so that that is available. So if there is an issue where their uh, recall needs to be employed, we have that information and then can bring it back to the water so that we can then determine where the rest of that product has been distributed to and then prevent an outbreak. So if you take that concept and explode it into every single product that we, that we sell, every fin fish, every, uh, you know, every crab, all the crab meat, all the products. And surprisingly enough, FDA has has stepped back from mollusks in the two Oh four. Um, and that's what we're going to do, but we have to track it. And in order to do that, as Adam mentioned, we need that identification lot code at the very beginning, at the time that the product hits the Hill, the prime, the product comes on land. If, if there is an a, a, uh, a, uh, a lot number assigned to that product and it stays with that product throughout the whole process, theoretically, we'll be able to track it back. Um even as it goes through our processing where the CTEs are involved and it turns into other, um, additional process. When I say that, I mean, we're taking a whole tuna and we're breaking it down into tuna portions. You know, an 80 pound animal doesn't go to one customer that, that animal, if it's producing 60 pounds of, 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 of product could literally be going to dozens of different customers. And that, uh, that identification number needs to stay with that product so we can comply with the FDA requirements. It's not that that simple.
1: Mm -hmm. All right, thanks Joe for those insights. So um, Adam, now part of the traceability rule specifies how records for key data elements or the KDE's for critical tracking events or the CTEs must be kept and stored and how they must be furnished to FDA within 24 hours if a records request is made. So from an FDA standpoint what best practices should companies employ for keeping, storing, transmitting and providing these records internally and externally including, you know, designating company personnel to handle these tasks.
2: Yeah, this is a great question. Thanks Adrian. So FISMA clearly states that FDA cannot prescribe any specific technology for the maintenance of records, meaning they can use a digital or a paper-based system to maintain records. So there is flexibility for the industry on how they want to maintain, store, and transmit records throughout the supply chain. And in, in certain circumstances, when the public health is threatened, we may request that information about specific foods and specific date ranges or specific traceability lot code ranges be provided to us in an electronic sortable spreadsheet. But we believe that firms that maintain their records on paper will be able to create such a spreadsheet using the information contained in their existing paper records under those limited circumstances. Uh, Moreover, the rule does not prescribe a specific technology for creating the sortable spreadsheet. Although we recognize that there may be incentives or in some cases market pressures for entities to adopt electronic record keeping for traceability, and some entities may find it beneficial to invest in new technology to keep traceability records, the rule itself does not require entities to replace their paper-based systems with electronic records. From an FDA system standpoint, FDA is in the process of developing a product tracing system that would allow information to be provided to FDA in a secure way and in a variety of formats similar to other FDA systems that allow industry to provide information to us. And as we progress in the development of this system, we will keep all stakeholders informed on the details of the system, including options for data formats and sharing the required records and electronic, electronic sortable spreadsheet with the FDA. And Joe alluded to this um, earlier, but this rule really provides the what and where in terms of what data to collect and the points in the supply chain to collect them. But the rule does not provide the how. And I, I want to say that again, because it's important because the rule does not provide the how of traceability we only provide the what and the where and there there are so many great industry resources to help with the how such as from trade associations professional associations data standards bodies and so fda will remain agnostic into how a company chooses to develop their own traceability systems and processes but the rule is put in place to sort of be a guardrail to help the industry with improving traceability and and I think it can be done. So, I will say that those involved in the food supply chain should plan for this upcoming January 2026 compliance date now. And I recommend reading the full Federal Register notice, which is available on FDA's traceability landing page. And this Federal Register notice includes the preamble text where you can read FDA's nuanced responses to comments received. Um, And it includes the actual regulatory requirements outlined within the rule. And also the FDA landing page includes a variety of helpful resources, such as FAQs and tools to help prepare for compliance and education. And finally, once you've taken the time to familiarize yourself with the rule it is critical to begin working with your supply chain partners to develop a system for collecting, maintaining, and, and transmitting this traceability information with your partners in your supply chain to ensure effective and efficient traceability. And I, I just want to make it clear, though, that FDA will continue to educate before we regulate, just as we've done with previous FISMA rules. And we're also um, trying to learn as much as we can from the industry on the latest innovations and best practices that are taking place. So, even though three years seems like a long time, the compliance date will happen sooner than we think. So, bottom line is FDA is here to answer your compliance questions, but also it is crucial for businesses to begin working with their supply chains now to prepare for compliance.
1: All right, great. Thank you, Adam. So now, Joe, as a seafood processor and wholesaler, your company is responsible for tracking traceability lot codes and the receiving KDES from the land-based receiver as well as transformation KDEs and shipping KDEs for all of your seafood products. So those four categories encompass a lot of data points. Now, do you think that the final food traceability rule, along with the supplemental materials released so far by FDA, are clear on all of the records that need to be maintained? Um, And also, what additional information or tools would you like to see FDA provide to companies so that they so that you can successfully comply with the rule by January 2026?
3: Well, we, we here at, at Samuels, we have been working on this process for nearly three years now because we are a little bit ahead of the curve. But I'm going to disagree with Adam again. I would say that most of the industry is not aware of this 204. Why do I know that? Because I've been working on this system and it's, as, as Adam mentioned, it's important that the that the lot labels are applied to every uh, piece of product before it gets here, whether it's pro- produced domestically or overseas, that has some kind of lot tracking number associated with it. And I've reached out to my vendors, and many, many, many of them are not aware because it's about labeling. We it's 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 so important that the product is labeled before it gets to my receiving dock because we're a just-in-time vendor. Uh, we're we're receiving orders at at, at the night before from restaurants and food service agencies and retailers, and they want that pro- product delivered 12 hours later. So there's no way that we have the time when those 20 trucks, 40 trucks that back up to my dock every day, if that product is not properly labeled before it gets here, there's, it's just going to handcuff us and suffocate us at a, as a business if I don't reach out to my vendors and have them work with me. So the, I know who knows and who doesn't know. And I've reached out to literally hundreds of vendors to make sure that they have the capability of put the proper labeling on every single box of fish that arrives t- before it reaches here. We do over 40 million pounds of product a year out of four different facilities. And if this doesn't, if this is not in place, we have no chance. I don't have time to put labels on hundreds of, 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 of boxes of fish in order to, because we, we produce it one at a time. It's just the order, just the, 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 the different customers order the night before. So these labels have to be on there before the domestic producers send them to us, or as they come into the country. And this, why, this is also, we're probably getting ahead of it. And this is why the FDA should be working with National Marine Fisheries and SIMP, because if at, we're duplicating the same effort, with the FDA 204 as SIMP is, writing down all the KDEs and recording them as they come into the country. So if you could combine these two systems together, it goes, what, 80% of the seafood that comes into the country. That's why HACCP worked over 30 years ago, because when FDA put sent down the ruling, the FDA and industry worked together, literally side by side, designing a system that worked for everybody. FDA helped make the product safer. We as an industry produce product in a safer way. We understood what each, 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 the responsible of each side. And together we made a system that has definitely made uh, seafood safer. The same thing needs to happen with what we're doing now.
1: Okay. Interesting insights. Thank you, Joe. So, um, Adam, we know that the food traceability list delineates which companies will be required to comply with FSMA 204, although FDA's stated goal is to achieve a voluntary industry wide adoption of these requirements to enable better transparency and traceability throughout the entire food supply chain. So, do you see this as a realistic possibility? And what interest has the currently exempt portion of industry shown so far in response to the traceability rule release?
2: Yeah, thank you for this question, Adrian. And I also agree with Joe that we need to work with the industry as well as academic institutions, um, both domestically and abroad. This is a a global food market and we, we certainly need to have um, outreach and engagement efforts that last well beyond the 2026 compliance date. This is the future of the food supply chain. So it is, it's really important for us to build the relationships now, understand how the industry is thinking about complying with the rule and offering help to the industry if they need help. So um, I, I certainly want to extend that not only to Joe, but to everyone listening and to the general public that um, we're we're here to help and we're here to learn as well. So just to underscore your question, the requirements set forth in the final rule applies only to persons who manufacture, process, pack, or hold foods on the food traceability list. The rule does not apply to non- FTL foods, FTL meaning food traceability list. So even if foods are not subject to the traceability rule, they are still subject to the one up, one back record keeping requirements outlined within the bioterrorism act. However, as stated in the, the preamble to the proposed rule, we believe that applying to all foods, the approach to record keeping required under the food traceability rule would benefit both industry and American consumers by facilitating faster traceback and identification of contaminated food, thereby limiting the adverse impact of an outbreak on consumers and affected sectors of the food industry. Although we acknowledge that conducting more robust record-keeping for all foods might not be feasible for all firms, especially those with fewer resources to devote to traceability measures we hope that all entities in the supply chain recognize the importance of the rules emphasis on the documenting and sharing block code information as product moves through its supply chain. And as part of FDA's new era of smarter food safety initiative, we want to ensure that all stakeholders involved in the supply chain have access to high quality and low cost traceability solutions. And this is why we hosted the 2021 Lower no cost tech enabled traceability challenge. This challenge was aimed to encourage technology providers, public health advocates, entrepreneurs, and innovators from all disciplines to develop traceability hardware, software, or data analytics platforms that were low cost or no cost to the end user. With this challenge, we hope to enable food producers of all sizes to participate in tech enabled traceability in a scalable, cost effective way. The challenge resulted in 90 submissions from all over the world, and there was even a webinar that provided deeper discussion with the 12 winners from the challenge. While the challenge submission submissions do not make up a totality of solutions out there, they did provide an interesting snapshot and important learning opportunity for all of us working in this space. So FDA hopes to collaborate further with the industry to provide important public information on the numerous benefits of a strong traceability system and what it can provide that exceed the traditional food safety benefits of, you know, just improving outbreak response and contamination prevent prevention. So we're, we're keenly aware that enhanced traceability will have a notable impact in areas such as food waste, food security, food defense, business intelligence, and overall supply chain transparency. The, the better all of us understand these benefits, the more conversations can occur with non-traditional st- stakeholders such as insurance companies or financial industries to continue to explore opportunities to incentivize and invest in the adoption of the requirements. To put a finer point on this, while the public health benefits are of utmost importance to FDA, we also believe that there are additional benefits like the ones I just mentioned To enhance traceability that will further uncover when the food traceability list foods are subject to the rule. And these benefits could inspire the application of food traceability list standards to non-food traceability list foods. And to me, this seems like progress. So FDA most definitely wants to be part of this, this conversation. And although we believe the traceability rules requirements provide an important foundation For all those involved in the supply chain to speak the same language, we believe the industry, including those from um, exempted parts of the rule, should voluntarily drive this conversation. So we're looking forward to learning more about the exciting innovations taking place within industry and academia and even from consumers because it truly takes all of us working together to make this positive change within the food system.
1: Great. Thanks, Adam. And and yeah, we did discuss that low cost, no cost uh, technology challenge on the traceability webinar that we did. So um, thanks for bringing that up. It's interesting. And I'll, I'll have to check out the webinar that was done on that. I haven't actually seen that yet. So um, thanks for mentioning that. So I want to take a look at kind of w- what we are thinking about this, this final traceability rule down the road. And I'm going to pose this question to Joe first. So what are your hopes for the outcome of compliance with this rule from a business and customer relations point of view, Joe? You know, many years down the line after, you know, 2026 after it's been implemented. What how are you seeing this, you know, 10, 15 years down the line? Uh
3: well ultimately the goal of this is to have a better understanding as how does a product move through the food chain? Uh and actually It's not so much the traceability, but the transparency, because it's what's most important is that people know with confidence of what they're consuming, right? That's the, that's the key goal. And once you know where your product, what your product is and where it comes from, then everything else can come into play. Your traceability, if there's an issue, we can do recalls and, and that's what we need to achieve. What I hope my hope is, is that the FDA understands the complexity of the wholesale seafood, that they understand that it's not what was represented by their competition of traceability uh, when they tried to have uh, different systems that would provide this, that it's just one whole product in moves all the way through the system, one to the end user with only one or two different hands touching it. That's not how it works. It comes in. It's, it's the product is, is the form is transferred, transformed from whole because nobody buys a whole fish anymore, right? The industry gets portions, right? They get six ounce portion. So everything is processed. Everything is cut before it is distributed. And then it is either mixed in one whole lot that a lot of the frozen guys uh, uh, produce or in the fresh industry, Everything's, there's a lot of commingling of product. So that's why the lot numbers are so important and, and product comes in and is distributed within three days. Um, So, so if we can make the product safer and more transparent to what it is, that would be a great addition, but there's a lot of steps that have to happen before we get there. Uh, We can't just do it all in once. So I think, what I would like to see in order, if say it was a 10 year uh, timeline that we're looking toward in order to actually implement this system, is that we have to back it up and do it one step at a time and then expand. I mean, just to go from you know, a one in, one out where you're counting pieces to where you actually have to weigh the product before it goes out and maintain that lot number itself. That's a complicated process, right? You take one whole tuna, and then you, I mean, you take if you take clams and you count them, they're one in and one out. And that's relatively simple if you keep everything straight. But when you take a fish that you're only getting a seventy percent yield, then you're cutting it down. That come, becomes a bit more complicated, especially when you incorporate a scale and you have to record that as well, and then and then recapture the whole weight of that fish based on that lot number. You know, that could be a little bit more difficult and that's not going to happen all at once. And the the technology really isn't out there to address that when you're switching from different species. You know, we we have to deal with 300 different whole fresh species on a daily basis. Almost that type of technology doesn't exist, but we have a long road ahead of us. And, you know, you, you hear my passion in this because I've been doing this for so long, trying to you know, accommodate the FDA's ruling. So what's going to happen for this other group of people, this other 50% that hasn't even started yet. There isn't technology out there because every you know, seafood is a very small industry and every different company is unique. So there isn't a one size fits all. So everybody has to create their own systems in order to comply, right? We're here to help one another to move it through because I think it's very important, this transparency. But if, if 10 years may not be enough time in order to do it if we continue on the same path.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you Joe and and certainly unique concerns within the seafood industry and you know I mean you see that with HACCP there's separate HACCP rules for seafood so you know I mean it you know it kind of figures that with traceability you would have unique concerns as well within your industry. So thank you for those insights Joe. Um, now, Adam, I'd also like to pose the same question for you. What are your hopes for the outcome of compliance with the final food with the food traceability rule um, many years down the line from, you know, a regulatory and a consumer protection point of view?
2: Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question, and thank you for asking it. So, I think as you've heard throughout the discussion, we at FDA are very excited about this food traceability rule. And we also see this as an opportunity to, you know, continue our outreach with the public. So providing opportunity to, to share some of FDA's thoughts on the food traceability rule in this forum, in particular on, on this podcast on Food Safety Magazine is, is really important for us to continue to let people know about this rule. It, it was just finalized in November of 2022. So we certainly have a long ways to go but we want to be here every step of the way to help the industry and also learn from the industry. Um, So I I truly hope that history will remember this moment as transformative and as a catalyst in building the food systems of tomorrow. I hope people will see the hard work the industry and government agencies across the country and the world are putting forth right now and not only learning the requirements of the rule, but also implementing a system that helps improve business operations. The concept of traceability is still in its infancy. So it's very exciting to see all of the rapid innovation taking place every single day. And as you've learned today, the goal of this rule is to protect the health and safety of the American people by helping those in the food supply chain more easily track and trace the products they process, pack, or hold. While this rule creates foundational rules for traceability, such as defining key data elements and critical tracking events, there is tremendous opportunity from this point forward for all of us to work together in developing innovative solutions that build upon these FDA requirements. There is also incredible opportunity for FDA to work with our international counterparts in harmonizing this new language of traceability. I imagine a day where consumers can pinpoint exactly what products they purchase from retail establishments or restaurants at the push of a button, and the information embedded in their you know, digital receipt or paper receipt can point outbreak investigators directly to the specific lots that they purchased. Hypothetically, if during an investigation we noticed that consumers around the country were sickened by an identical strain of a pathogen and those consumers have more accurate purchase history records, we may be able to more rapidly and accurately identify the exact lot or lots of product that caused the illness. Especially if these records lead investigators to finding the exact strain in that facility, on that piece of equipment, or in the food item itself. So having visibility into these more accurate data streams can also help modernize the speed, accuracy, and the scope of product recalls. And it has the potential to provide consumers with you know, personalized alerts to products that they may have purchased included in that recall. This space is exciting because it feels like we're truly leveraging the power of data to make our food supply more robust and resilient. And it feels like we're genuinely making an impact in protecting the health and safety of the American people every day. And lastly, I just want to say that FDA has a FSMA technical assistance network where we answer all FSMA compliance questions, including for this traceability rule. So please do not hesitate to submit a question to the TAN. We, we call it the TAN, the Technical Assistance Network, because we will respond as, as quickly as we can with an official answer. But we just want to underscore the importance for being as specific as possible with your questions so we can provide the best possible answer. And so I just want to say thank you again for the opportunity to be on this podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Adam. And uh, thank you, Joe, again, both of you for taking the time to speak with us today about the, uh, about the final traceability rule and also uh, tech-enabled traceability and traceback and um, the uh, work that's being done in this area. It's a pleasure to have you both.
3: Thank you for the
2: opportunity. Thank you, Adrian.
0: And now here's our discussion with Rob Clark and John McPherson with RFXL. I'm here with Rob
1: Clark, North American Sales Director for RFXL, and John McPherson, Senior Director of Digital Innovation for RFXL, to talk about FISMA 204 and where to get guidance on what it means to your organization and where to start. So Let's first talk about the ins and outs of FISMA 204. Can you tell us what organizations can start doing now to ensure that they're ready for FISMA legislation in 2026?
4: Well, that's a great question, Adrian. Where do you start? Um, I would say that there's three areas or three things that companies could be doing right now. Uh, First, I would identify the needs of your company. Um, And the first area I would look at would be the food traceability list or the FTL. Uh, for those that are not uh, familiar with the FTL, it is essentially a, a list of high-risk foods that have been identified over time by the FDA that have led to outbreaks and foodborne illnesses. Now, not all foods are on the FTL. There's approximately 20-plus categories and subcategories that are on there, like leafy greens, eggs, nut butter, certain types of cheeses, et cetera. Um, and now, even if you're not on the FTL, the FDA does note that the proposed requirements were des- designed to be suitable for all FDA Uh, regulated food products and they do encourage voluntary adoption of these practices industry-wide. But beyond the compliance requirements, I would also identify what other business value can be gained and communicate those uh, use cases to the business, whether it be consumer engagement, anti-counterfeit, supply chain transparency, etc. Now once you've identified if you're on the FTL or you just want additional benefits from traceability, the second step would be to get executive sponsorship. We can't stress this enough. We've seen many traceability efforts struggle uh, to get off the ground due to lack of executive sponsorship. Now, executive management needs to be on board, I would say, in two main areas. First, in terms of willingness to invest a serious budget, and the second would be to assemble an an internal team of the best and brightest minds to tackle this from across the corporation. Now, keep in mind that executive management may, may not be aware of the FDA's requirements or the additional benefits of traceability, so be prepared to educate the organization as well. An additional way to get sponsorship with executives across the organization is to link the effort to the company goals. Um, Could be such things as consumer engagement or supply chain transparency. You want to align this opportunity with other initiatives. Now, once you have the executive backing, the third area that I would focus on immediately is to create a cross-functional team. This will include members from your organization from operations, marketing, the factory, IT, et cetera, to lead the effort. This initiative will touch many areas of your organization. and Change management is difficult, but by including members from the different areas from the beginning, you're gonna get that buy-in. Finally, we would recommend that for whomever is leading this effort, that this is a full-time position and not a side job. This is gonna be a big effort and we see companies fail that do not dedicate the resources to this as a full-time effort.
1: Well, that's some great guidance, Rob. Now, because a lot of this may be new to many in the food industry, How can we know what we don't know? Um, Can you discuss a little bit how to seek best practices outside of food?
4: That's an excellent question. Some of the best learnings can come from other companies that have already gone through this. So the first thing I would recommend is to identify industry leaders or advisors to help you on your journey. Once again, this is not going to be an easy task. So I would tap into those, uh, those that are experts in the field that have been through this before. Uh, the second area I would recommend is to look outside of the industry. For example, I would look at the pharmaceutical industry. They are currently operating under the FDA's DSCSA, which is the Drug Supply Chain Security Act. So they've gone through the same exact process just a few years earlier than you. Uh, the first major deadline to the DSCSA was in January of 2015, which required manufacturers to print lot numbers on the packaging of all prescription drugs. And then starting later in this year in 2023, full unit level traceability will be mandatory. So as you can see, the FDA started with lot level traceability similar to FISMA and eventually moved to unit level traceability. So pharma companies were in your shoes approximately 10 years ago. So you can learn a lot from their mistakes and benefit from the lessons learned. (laughs)
1: So those last points are really great. Now, picking up on that, can you tell me a little more about RFXL's success in the pharmaceutical industry and talk about, you know, some mistakes you've seen through your experiences?
5: Sure Adrian, I can I can address that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, RFX has been serving the pharmaceutical track and trace industry since about 2003. So we've been at this for a long time, and you know, and our organization has grown as the needs of industry have grown. And we've seen a lot of different uh, types of organizations go through dealing with what the FDA has asked of them uh, and watch the industry as a whole kind of grapple with the needs, not just what what the compliance needs are from industry, but really from the reason why these laws exist in the first place, right? Which is to protect us uh, as consumers. So as we've gone from tracking lots and working with EDI and to a serialized environment, as Rob just described uh, just now, the industry itself has moved from just very similar to what I think FDA is trying to do here in food, right? Move from a reactive stance to a proactive stance. And that's that's taken time. And those who have been most successful, uh, I think are those who have taken the mindset in our experience that this is important, that it's important for their business, it's important for the industry. And again, it's really important for, you know, the consumers. I mean, the regulation has evolved, right? That DSCSA in this case and the traceability rule here with the Food Safety Modernization Act is really meant to protect us. Um, and the DSCSA's case is to protect patients from counterfeit or illegal drugs. So, you know, the compliance requirement evolves as well as the needs evolve, as the challenges evolve. And so I think that's what you can expect to see here. So an organization that takes this seriously from the beginning and sees the value to not just their company, but to the entire industry, those are the ones who have had you know, the most success in looking at it that way. And we've seen this you know, globally. Industry will always push back at first. We're not ready, it takes too much time, we need help. Uh, but one mistake I think we've seen is those who think it's gonna go away, won't go away. Uh, food safety is important in this case. Uh, we'll push back, Work industry works with the FDA to try and get an understanding of when these deadlines are and what do they need to do. But over time, the regulations, once they're signed, the government has every intent on enforcing them, right? Because again, this food safety is the ultimate goal that they're after, and the regulations will evolve. What we see in pharma, pharma, for example, again, we started with lot-based traceability, but now the agency continues to look at new technology as how can we make this more streamlined, easier to adopt? How can we get more data out of the supply chain? Again, to help make sure that, you know, Our drugs are safer and the supply chain is a lot safer than it was. But I think all of us listening to this will know that, well, we still have a lot of problems that come up in supply chains around counterfeit drugs because again, it evolves. So the law allows the government to kind of make these changes and evolve as they go. Uh, so those who take that seriously and Rob's talked about this and we'll keep coming back, right? To have the right team in place, have an executive sponsor who understands the importance of it and uh, also see what what this entire effort is going to mean for you as an organization, those are the ones who are going to be most successful.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, those are great examples, John. And, you know, all of this sounds pretty transformational. So, you know, my last question for you guys today is, what can you tell us about how some of the companies you've worked with have been able to realize the business value of supply digitization outside of compliance?
5: Yeah. I, and I think this goes back to part of the conversation we had about having executive buy-in, right? Like see the big picture, demand for data about your products. If you had to think to yourself, is it going to go up or down in the marketplace? I think everyone agrees that demand for data about what you have in your supply chain is only going to go up. And not just from regulators, from your trading partners, and especially from consumers, right? So this, is a, this can be a transformational journey for the organization. And so we have worked with a number of companies who are Seeing it that way, who come to supply chain visibility with compliance in the background, and they have some other business value that's really, you know, in the foreground that goes beyond compliance. And what's important is if to work with a partner uh, who understands the technology, and if you listen to, you know, the current FDA leadership, the idea of you know, tech-enabled traceability is something that's really important to them. So they want to look at what tools are available. So there's there's these companies who are saying, look. These tools are really valuable. This is a transformational step for us. Not only is the regulation in the background, but we want to derive specific business value. And it's about moving from a kind of paper-based world or even email-based world into a a truly digital world where we're actually taking a physical product, assigning some type of digital identity to it, allowing data to be attracted and attached to that product, and then interrogating that for different business uses. I can give a couple examples of what we're working with right now uh, major agricultural business here in California where I am looking at how do we find out how the investments we're making into our products in this case in varieties of specific produce products that they're producing all the r d and investment the grow the growers they're working with how does that actually translate if if the customer at the consumer actually likes it or enjoys it, right? So for us, what we're doing is we're assigning unique digital IDs, a serial number to every single package of product that comes out of the field, travels through the supply chain and gets to the end consumer. So when the end consumer gives feedback, that drives directly back to the business because to the consumer, it may not be completely transparent that these are two different varieties with two different journeys uh, of their own, two different sets of inputs. So that optimization within the supply chain has been a big investment for this company, but they see the value in it. If you're investing all this money right into your into your product, how do you make choices in the future if you don't know how it's, how it's um, being responded to by consumers? Uh, another example is a big beverage company. This is a global wine producer, one of the largest wine companies in the world. And what they wanted to look at in terms of transformation was, what if we gave a unique identity to every bottle that comes off of our line? We are an industry very interested in engaging directly with consumers in the marketplace. And by giving each product a unique ID, now we change the game into the type of experiences we can engage consumers with. Because people are, are very savvy now with their phones, they're scanning QR codes, they're used to that. The value you have to give back to your consumer has gone up. You have to make it worth their while to do that. And that's kind of some of the transformation we're doing. Now, how does this relate to FISMA? Well, this is a transformational step within their supply chain. They're going completely off paper. This is a digital identity they're creating for their products. And again, they understand lot, expiry, source of the product, all the key data elements that FISMA is gonna ask for are almost table stakes for these kinds of transformation products projects. So uh, that's the way that that ties together in the sense if we look at this at the big picture for how is this gonna affect and drive our business. Uh, we have one of our first customers that really helped us understand the, some of the transformational value was several years ago in Asia, a baby formula company, it's a big CPG company. Uh, they had a big counterfeit problem with baby formula. And this is a real brand challenge, not, not to mention a safety challenge. So what we work with them to do is a similar project where we're identifying uniquely each product to, to protect it anti-counterfeit measures so that, and then engaging with the consumer so they could have more trust in the product that they were having that they were going to be feeding to to their infants. So These are all you know, different types of food and beverage companies who will be affected by the law, who have taken kind of different steps in, a, in their view about what do we need to do to our supply chain to make us not just compliant, not just come up to the basic level, but looking ahead to how can this change our business? And so when Rob talks about getting executive buy-in and understanding what are their five, 10 year objectives for the business that you might be surprised at how much this actually might align, right? Because it takes time. You have to gather data. You have to get the right people. You have to look at your trading partners. You have to have those types of discussions about systems you have already from your ERP, your warehouse management. If you have that grow or certain operation software you might be using, how do these things all fit together to help make you not just be compliant and make sure your consumers are safe but also align with future corporate objectives.
1: Well, super interesting and important stuff. So I want to thank Rob and John from RFXL for this insightful discussion today and for sharing this information with our podcast audience on how companies can get prepared to comply with FISMA 204 and maximize their business value. Rob and John, thanks for being on the podcast.
4: Thanks, Adrian. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Adam Friedlander and Joe Laspargata for joining us on the podcast today. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening. A very special thanks to our sponsor, RFXL. To learn more about their food supply chain and traceability solutions, visit their website, rfxl.com. That's R-F-X-C-E-L.com. We'd also like to acknowledge the entire team at FDA that is supporting us in the production of this important series. It would not be possible without the support of a whole lot of folks. So thanks again to you all. All right. That's it for us today. We'll talk to you soon.